Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Oliver Woodmansey, Chief Executive of XP Group Holdings. Oliver, hello. Good morning, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Well, that's a really, really interesting question. So um, to me, uh, a a leader is somebody who can take people on a journey. Um, And obviously, we'll talk about this in in a business context. Uh, but it's somebody who really you know, lights a fire in people, gets people to, to believe in something, um, whatever it may be. Uh, but that becomes really, really key. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Well, for, for me, um, I kind of live, live and breathe what I just said. You know, I've been lucky enough to lead teams all around the world, all around Europe and, and indeed in the, in the Middle East. And uh, it's, a pretty, it's a common denominator here, which is, it's human nature that people want to or need to have some form of figurehead. Um, and it's not necessary to, to tell them what to, what to do, but it is to give them something to, to believe in. And, and that's really been my style, you know. And um, and I have a, a mantra in my team, which is, you know, we, we exist and we, we try and function in order to obviously to make some money, um, uh, but also to have fun and to learn. And and those last two, the ones that really make the first one happen. So that was the best way of describing my style. It's quite interesting that you've had that experience leading teams in in very different cultures. Um, Do you feel that different approaches to leadership uh, need to be employed with these different demographics? Absolutely. And and, and that's really driven from the fact that people are motivated by, by different things. Um, and this is a lesson I learned very early on um, in my time, particularly, in, um, you know, whereas in Europe and, and, and the US and maybe in Asia, you know, we're motivated potentially by career progression or financial, you know, financial growth, wealth growth, some of those things potentially, other well, others, of course. But actually being in an environment where um, people are working, uh, in this case, it was the UAE. Um, you know, to provide for their families uh, and to, to be in a country that is not necessarily, um, you know, being a country that is safe as opposed to their home country, that their motivators are very, very different. So really getting under the skin of, you know, why do people come to work? What is it they want to achieve? Um, is so important. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out in the world of work. Were there any particular influences on you, whether it be a, uh, a person or uh, a set of circumstances that formed the way that you lead today? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think when you when you start work, you, you tend to um, sort of look at those above you and, and say, "Well, they're the leaders; they they must be right." And, and, and actually, as you develop and as you evolve, you, you suddenly start questioning again. Well, hang on a minute; that doesn't look right to me. That doesn't that doesn't feel the right way of doing things. And and I work for my, my, my fair share of people who are, frankly, pretty pretty terrible leaders, you know, very much dictatorial, um, command and control. And, and that really just didn't work for me. And, and what I learned was I probably learned more from those who are bad leaders um, as opposed to <laughs> those who are good in the early days. Um, but then it helps you to recognize that, um, 
you know, by leading people, allowing them to be themselves and, and uh, you know, and really you know, take risks themselves, then, then success can follow. Well, of course, uh, we can learn as much from bad leadership as we can from good uh, leadership. In your opinion, what separates a good leader from a bad one? It, it's, abs- it's an ability uh, to kind of bring two things together, actually. I mentioned earlier that but in understanding what motivates people. Um, so, you know, a, a good leader does seek to understand, you know, before, before uh, forming judgments um, and before jumping to conclusions. This is so, so critical. Um, but also encourages people to fail. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I really, really push very hard with my team, which is if you don't fail now and again, you're just not trying hard enough. Um, and, and if I think about you know, the UK and where we're at right now, we, you know, we, we've got lots of uncharted water and we need to be prepared um, to try new things and, and to go into new territories because that's how we will succeed. Now, of course, leadership comes in many different forms. But if I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Hmm, it's a really, really interesting one. Some, somebody like, and it's pretty obvious, but somebody like Bill Gates. Now, and I'm obviously, clearly, never worked for somebody that never worked for Bill Gates or anything like that. But I actually think if we, if we think about what employment is about, um, you know. And, and you look at somebody like him and you say, well, actually, you've got a social conscience. And, and I actually think that, you know, anybody that has true authenticity, um, and as I say, I never work for Bill Gates, so he may not be authentic, he may be, but he comes across as being authentic. Mm. And, and that, for me, is really, really critical. Uh, you can't train that. Authenticity is either innate or, or, or it's not. Now, do you feel uh, that leadership is ever-evolving? Oh, for sure. Uh, absolutely. And if I think about um, very early in my career, some of the first teams that I managed, um, you know, and, and people within those teams who are, again, starting out in their careers, you know, the, the average 21-year-old today is, is, is very, very different um, to the average 21-year-old 20 years ago. And, and what, they're, what they're looking for from work is, is very, very different. Um, and I think, you know, if we as leaders, no matter what other stage we're at in our careers and what we've done, if we can't evolve to accommodate new generations coming through, we will fail. If you could speak to yourself a decade ago, what leadership qualities would you tell yourself to embrace and which ones would you say throw by the wayside? Embrace authenticity. There's, there's, there's absolutely no doubt at all. Um, and I, I think about very early on, um, in some of my leadership roles, you, you play a part, you play a role that you think a leader should be. Um, you know, uh, and the good and the, the good and the bad within that, but authenticity and trust in yourself, trust your judgment, because that is, you know, your judgment at the end of the day is what you really have to rely on every day, day in, day out as a leader. And what would your advice be to the next generation of emerging leaders? Don't discard the past. Uh, I think, you know, you we, when we come in and we start something new, we, we believe we have lots of new ideas and, and new ways of thinking. And my learning over the last 20 odd years, 25 years has been, you know, so much of what we do has been done before um, uh, to success and, and indeed to failure. And I think one of the roles of a leader has to be to be well read um, and to really take time to, to understand, you know, why things have been done the way that they, that they are. So take that time, you know, learn. Um, and also don't necessarily be in too much of a hurry to, 
the postgraduate studies. You know, I think, you know, these are things that come later on when you've got some experience, but you'll need them, but they come later on. So essentially don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for XP Group Holdings? Well, for us, fair enough, actually, a lot of things we've been talking about um, really, really sit at the heart of what we are doing. Um, and if we think about you know, the opportunities that we've been presented here in the UK now, the opportunity to, to trade perhaps more broadly, um, we have to embrace that. It's here. We have to embrace it and bring it forward. And so that's exactly what we are doing. Um, and we are on a journey from becoming, or uh, you know, from being quite a traditional physical operational business to um, an innovation technology-based organization. Uh, why do that? Well, you know, we have the opportunity. Te- technology is very easy to, to, to develop cross-border uh, and, and, uh, and cross-vertical markets. Mm. Um, so we'll be doing a lot more in that, investing heavily in, in new technologies and um, bringing on board new people to support that. Well, Oliver, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you'll come back on the program at some point in the near future and keep us updated. Oliver, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. That was Oliver Woodmansey, Chief Executive of XP Group Holdings. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. 
and of course a great manager in Ralph Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there. It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he, uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. 
And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I were going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, well, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. 
And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. 
Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that, struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned. 
uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and just opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, I, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.